Well, we've been in this series of rhythms, and we've been talking about spiritual disciplines for normal people, people like you, people like me. Uh, well, I don't know that I'm that normal, to be honest with you. Um, I'm a little abnormal sometimes. Uh, just by the very, you just stick youth pastor at the end of my name, and people are like, that guy's not normal. Um, so that's kind of how that works. And, 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 uh, but anyways, I tried my best to be a normal person. But over the last several weeks, we've been talking about these different disciplines, like things like solitude and like prayer and reading scripture and self-care and gathering and practicing Sabbath and some amazing things. And I have really, really appreciated the, the approach that our team has taken to this. Pastor Mark, when he laid out kind of a vision for this sermon series, he said, look, we have so many talented teachers and preachers in this congregation. Let's, let's line them all up and let's hear different perspectives and different viewpoints. And so I am so appreciative of that approach over the last several weeks. And it's, it's caused me to, to stop and to pause and to examine where am I at with this uh, discipline? Where am I at with, with this aspect of my spiritual walk? And when Pastor Mark and I talk, sat down and talked about, okay, we've, we've, I kind of started getting nervous, to be honest, because I started seeing like, okay, this person's doing this, this person's doing prayer, oh, Stephanie's going to do scripture, oh, Aaron Matthews gets, what's, what's, what's left, you know, like, where am I supposed to go? And, and Pastor Mark goes, well, I think I'd like for you to talk to everybody about the spiritual discipline of spiritual discernment. And my first thought was, uh, is, that, is that a spiritual discipline? I, I, I didn't know. And if it is, am I the one that's qualified to talk about spiritual discernment? And uh, many of you who, who know, as I said earlier, as, as a youth pastor, that pretty much usually disqualifies you right out of the gate. That guy doesn't usually have the most spiritual discernment. And then if you talk to my wife, she would definitely tell you that I do not have the gift of discernment all the time. Yet, here I stand. And we're going to talk today a little bit more about the discipline of spiritual discernment. And as I began to dive a little bit deeper into this idea of discernment, I began to see and understand how we could actually view this as a discipline. And I hope that you're able to get there uh, with me today, and, and so we're going to go on this journey. But before we jump in too deep, how many of you over the last year have heard the term or struggled with yourself this idea of decision fatigue? Anybody? Decision fatigue. Okay, a couple of you. Yeah, okay. So if you don't know what decision fatigue is, let me just tell you, it's exhausting, as noted by the name fatigue, right? But, but here's the thing, like decision fatigue began to take place in my life about a year ago, right? About a year ago when the pandemic started. This has been a rough year, right? But I especially look back at the very beginning of the pandemic and really throughout this whole time, we as a society, as people have been forced to make decisions at a faster rate than we ever have before with less information sometimes it feels like or with too much information sometimes to try to make a wise choice. And we're left with this just exhausting time of like, you feel like you're on a treadmill trying to make decision after decision after decision, and there's not an end in sight. 
And some of you have probably experienced this. This last year has been chock full of those kind of moments. And let me just tell you from, from my own personal experience last year when we decided to um, shut down meeting together for, for a period of time, we had to make that decision quicker than we wanted to make it. We had to make that decision based on limited information. We had to do it, and yet the consequences for doing it seemed higher than ever. And not only that, but then I think about all of the decisions that we had to make. Not only do we meet together and physically in this place or not, then we had to make a decision about, okay, when are we going to come back to meeting in person? And when we do that, what are the protocols we're going to have in place? And what are we going to do here? And then we had to think about, well, we, we want to make sure that we still maintain a really good broadcast online. So we had to make some decisions about technology to purchase and whether or not to, to implement these different camera systems. And I hope, if you're watching online today, I hope that that has been a worthwhile investment for you. Hopefully you feel more connected. And if you've joined us online, I hope, hopefully you've experienced that. That doesn't mean it's not come without hiccups. It doesn't mean it's not come without certain things. But we had to make these decisions, and we had to implement these decisions and these things quickly. And then I had to think about whenever we shut down last year as a youth pastor, okay, we're not going to meet in person for youth, but I don't want to like lose connection with our students. What's the best platform to use to connect with them? How do we continue this thing on? So I made a decision to, to use a platform, but then I had to figure out once I made the decision of the platform, then I had to figure out how to use that platform. Anybody been there? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Like how many of you like how many of you didn't know Zoom was a thing a year ago? Anybody? Yeah, okay, yes, absolutely. Like, we didn't know Zoom was a thing, but we had to learn how to use it quickly and hopefully efficiently, right? We had to make all of these decisions, but it wasn't just professional decisions that we were making. We were also making decisions about our personal lives. What amount of risk were we willing to take as a family these are things that, honestly, I'd never really thought that much about. Decisions that weren't really decisions in the past became harder to figure out. Do I go to the grocery store? Do I feel safe doing that? And if I do go to the grocery store, like, do I take my kids? I mean, the answer to that is always no, I don't want to take my kids to the grocery store. But if I had to take my kids, would I do that? And then Christmas was just a few months ago, and we had to make the decision, do I, do I go see family? Is, it, is that safe to do? And even if I realize it's maybe not the safest decision, is it, is it a risk that I'm willing to take or that we should take? And I am exhausted about decision-making. And I'm not the kind of decision-maker, personally, that makes decisions really quickly anyways. Like, I am a slow decision maker. I like to gather as much information as possible before I make a decision. I like to view it from my angle. I like to view it from your angle. I like to view it from my neighbor's angle. Like, every, like I like to see how everybody views this situation so that I can make an informed decision. And some of you are thinking right now about a decision. You're sitting there and you're thinking, what am I going to eat for lunch after this service is over? Now, granted, that's on a new decision. We've faced that decision for a long time. But here's the thing. Like, we're faced with decisions. And, 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 and some of you have sat there and you've whispered to your significant other, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Whatever sounds good to you. This is a frequent conversation in my house. 
But we have decisions to make all the time. We have decisions to make all the time. And I know that I'm not alone in this feeling over the last year of of decision fatigue and, and really trying to seek the will of God. When we talk about this, this spiritual discernment, we're really after what's the will of God. How do we go after the will of God? And that happens a lot of times through the different decisions and through the different avenues that we take to get there. And, and please know that I'm with you in this feeling of decision fatigue. Some of you are, are just amening this, and some of you like, are really good decision makers, and you're quick, and you're, you're, you're used to doing some of that anyways. But this year has been tough in this, in this way. Like my, my mental state is just exhausted. And I know that you guys are the same. And, and I want to talk about a decision that some people in Scripture made. I want to talk about this day that we're celebrating today, Palm Sunday. It's a great day. It's a day of celebration. We talk about how Jesus is king. He is king and he is Lord. Hosanna. We, we, we praise God and rightfully so. Rightfully so. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He sits on the throne today. And that is a reason to celebrate today. But I want to look at the group of people that gathered together as Jesus began this march of Holy Week and as he, as he went through this time. You see, people had a lot of ideas about who Jesus was. They had a lot of ideas about who they thought he was or, or what they thought he should do. And there's reasons that they thought that way. See, if you were a good Jew, you realized that one day there was going to be a Messiah that came. And there was going to be this Messiah that came and he was going to set people free. And in this culture, you have to realize they were under Roman occupation. And so for them, freedom meant freedom from Roman occupation. And the thing is, Jesus, well, he didn't really come to accomplish that. Not in a way that that you and I, maybe even today, if we were faced with similar circumstances, maybe we would have felt the same way as these people in the story did. But I want to look at at the story of of Palm Sunday, and I want to look at this this procession into Jerusalem. Yeah, people had all kinds of ideas about who Jesus was, and things had kind of come to a climax as he entered into the city of Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. He was coming here to celebrate this, this date on the calendar, this religious date on the calendar for the Jewish people. And Jesus, throughout his ministry for about three years at this point, had been going around and miracle after miracle after miracle, casting out demons, saying things differently, putting different ideas out there than what everybody else was saying or thinking. And it was radical. And it was a movement. And almost from day one, he commanded a crowd everywhere he went, and he didn't even have to try to do so. He didn't have to send out a bunch of social media invites. He didn't have to do any of that. Instead, he just showed up, and people flocked to him. It's pretty amazing. And things kind of come to a fever pitch at this moment when he enters into Jerusalem. They come to a fever pitch, and the Jewish people thought, 
that he had come to overthrow the Roman government, and they thought this was the moment. Like, they, were, they, were, they thought this was the moment, and, and in some ways they were right. That was the moment, but not the moment that they thought it was. And so he entered the city, and this is the scene. We're going to pick things up in John 12. We read a little bit of it earlier in worship. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16 says this, And the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. I want to stop right there for just a moment. Can you imagine this scene? I think, about it, think about it this way. We live in Bentonville, Arkansas, and sometimes there's some famous people that come to Bentonville, Arkansas, and think about how that news spreads. I can remember uh, one of our first years here, we, we heard about, I don't even remember which celebrity it was, but somebody was on the square. And the scene on the square, there's people everywhere. They packed in, because why? They wanted to see this person. This wasn't a singular event, by the way. This happens kind of uh, periodically throughout time as you live here in Bentonville. You realize this. But that's the scene. The news that Jesus was on his way swept through Jerusalem. So there's this crowd of people that have now gathered and await his arrival. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. I want to just think for just a moment about the discernment that these people showed. They missed it, if you want to be real about it. We're celebrating today, and, and like I said, rightfully so, we should. But the people then missed everything. They missed the whole point. In fact, at the end of that scripture, it says, his disciples didn't understand at the time. His own followers, the closest people to him, didn't understand at the time. And their judgment was certainly clouded and if, by all of the miraculous things that he did. And they got focused on, well, this miracle. They got focused on the things that he did, maybe some of the physical things that he did, and they kind of missed some of his message. And if you go back, and we have, you and I have the luxury of hindsight, and being able to look back and see how that story played out at the end of this week. But they just kind of missed the message. And if they'd really paid attention, they'd have heard that Jesus saying the kingdom of God was coming didn't necessarily mean that that was going to happen by him throwing, overthrowing a Roman government. I'd be tempted to say that, that they used poor discernment. But I'm not so certain that you and I wouldn't have discerned in the same direction had we been faced with the same set of circumstances and without hindsight that we have today. You see, they had decided that just from their own expectations, they were ready. Have you ever been so ready for something that you thrust your expectations upon a situation or a person? 
just because you're so ready in your own spirit? Yeah. That's what's happening. The Jewish people were ready for a Messiah. And they had it, but not in the way that they thought it was going to happen. They recognized that Jesus was great and that he was the king, and those were good things. And they got those things right. They just didn't understand the kind of king that Jesus was. They wanted an earthly king and kingdom, and Jesus didn't offer that. He never said that he did. But people made a discernment based on their desires for an earthly king that would bring an end to Roman occupation. And only a few days later, once they realized that he wasn't who they thought he was, they decided to crucify him. How many times are you and I guilty of this same thing? Maybe not in regards to Jesus' kingship, but in regards to discerning according to our own wants and desires as opposed to what God would want or desire in our lives. Decisions are such a vital and essential part of our life, and like I said, we're faced with them all the time. We make them every day from major things to minor things, things that don't really matter in the grand scheme to things that can alter the course of our lives. We make these decisions. And so it makes sense that we should want to make these decisions based on the will of God. The will of God is kind of an elusive thing. <laughs> it's kind of an elusive thing. It's something we all want and we all desire. And, and how many times have you said to yourself, or maybe I'm just speaking for my own self here, but I've said so many times, man, if I just knew what the will of God was, if I just know, knew which direction he wanted me to go, that would make this whole thing so much easier. That'd make this decision a lot easier. If I just knew, like, God, give me a sign. What's your will? And, and those decisions are, are essential, and, and we want to seek out God. And, and so sometimes what we do when we're facing major decisions or when we're facing a point like that, we just kind of throw up a prayer. Like, God, I don't know what to do here. God, I don't know what to do. Show me the way. Show me the way. This is a good prayer. It's a realization that you don't have all the answers. It's a realization that, that God holds the answers. But this morning, I want to talk to you about that can't just be a one-time prayer when a big decision comes. If you want to really talk about spiritual discernment as a spiritual discipline, it can't be a one-time thing. Instead, it's got to be a habit of spiritual discernment and decisions made after the will of God. It's not a bad thing to throw up that prayer, but spiritual discernment is about more than that prayer. And our inspiration for this series comes from an author um, named Ruth Haley Barton, and she wrote this book on these spiritual disciplines. And um, It's a great book, so I would encourage you to, to go and find that. You can find that resource. It's actually on our website, a link to the book if you wanted to read it. But she defines the habit of discernment as this. She says, it's a quality of attentiveness to God that is so intimate that over time we develop an intuitive sense of God's heart 
and purpose in any given moment. We become familiar with God's voice, the tone, quality, and content, just as we become familiar with the voice of a human being that we know well. The habit of spiritual discernment is about knowing God so well, knowing his heart so well, seeking after him in such a way that we know what his voice sounds like, that we recognize when he's at work. When we know his heart, we can intuitively make decisions. We can intuitively make these decisions. And this is what we're after. Prayer and seeking God is certainly part of the equation, but that's not all it is. That's not all it is. Seeking God's heart is about something more than that. And certainly creating a habit of spiritual discernment has to be more than just a prayer before a big decision. It's about being so in tune and in step with God that we're able to recognize his heart in any given situation. It's not easy to do, by the way. It takes a lot of discipline. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it's a pretty uh, famous passage, if you will. And today I want to I read it, but we're going to read verses 5 through 7. And it says this, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Listen, that's great, right? Isn't that comforting to know, like, if we will lean on God, he'll show us the way? I love that. But I struggle with verse 7. And the reason I struggle with it is because it kind of hits me right here. It says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I am guilty of being impressed by my own wisdom sometimes. Have you ever made a good decision that you feel like was all you and like, ah, that was a good decision? I'm the man, right? Like, I, you get, we have those moments of pride that come in. But verse 7 cautions us against that. Instead of leaning on our own wisdom, can't be impressed by our own wisdom, we have to learn how to lean on God's wisdom. We have to learn how to lean on God's wisdom, and that is discernment. We're very familiar with those first two verses, verse 5 and 6. But then verse 7 comes, and we, we like to leave, leave that out sometimes. Because it's convicting, right? Like sometimes we have been guilty of being impressed with our own wisdom. Today, I, I, we're going to take a side note here for just a moment. I love sports. I just want to tell you, like, I love sports. I love watching sports. I love playing sports. It, they are so great. To, I, lo- I just love everything about them. I've enjoyed watching March Madness. I loved the fact that we got to have sports again in the fall and, and through even the, the summer. We got to do some of that again. That was so good for my soul, for my spirit. And I love sports. I played a lot of sports as a kid growing up. I played uh, a little bit of baseball. I played basketball. I played, uh, for a very short time, I played football um, until I realized I was pretty much the smallest kid out there. 
I did all of these things, and, and eventually in seventh grade, I got to start doing some track and field, and I, I really found my groove um, with pole vaulting. I was a pole vaulter from seventh grade through college, and if you don't believe me, I've got proof this morning that in fact I did do this thing. Um, I, I thought about putting a picture up of me pole vaulting on the screen, but here's the deal. All those pictures that I have are kind of far away, and you'd be like, that could be anybody. So, this morning, I brought with me my track uniform from Southern Nazarene University. It's a little wrinkled. It's been in a box for a long time. Uh, but here it is, Southern Nazarene University, Crimson Storm on the back. All right? Thought about that. That was good. That was good. And if you didn't believe that, I thought I would bring the shorts to prove it as well. So there's the track shorts. I almost modeled these for you this morning. Um, but then I used some spiritual discernment, and I thought that might not be the best way to spend my time on the platform on a Sunday morning. You're welcome, by the way, uh, also. That would not be good for anybody. But I loved pole vaulting. It was a lot of fun. It was challenging, and I really appreciated that it was challenging. There was also a little bit of fear involved, right? If you're not a little bit scared to do this, then it's probably not a good idea that you should do it because you're going to hurt yourself. But I loved doing it. And one of the things about any sport that you do, especially today, is that to get better, lots of coaches and lots of athletes will use something we call film study. And what we do in those moments is we record ourselves doing whatever the sport is. So for me, for pole vaulting, we would record practice and we would be able to slow it down and we'd be able to kind of go frame by frame and watch technique. And there's something about being able to watch yourself do something on the screen that makes you better. Like you realize it then like, oh, that's when I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And if you play a team sport like football, football film study is a big deal. And why is that? Well, you want to get better as yourselves and you want to recognize what you're supposed to be doing. But even a bigger part is studying the opposition, right? You want to study their tendencies. You want to know what kind of formations they line up in. Why? Well, that's because whenever you get on the field and you're face-to-face -face with them and you see that, you want to be able to act instinctively. You want to be able to act intuitively. Oh, they're lined up here. That means I need to do this. You want it to be just as quick as possible thinking. It's the same thing with spiritual discernment. It's the same thing with spiritual discernment. We want to know God so well that we're able to act instinctively, that we're able to make decisions based on the heart of God. We want to be able to, to recognize in any given situation what God has for us, what the will of God is. And especially in these days where we're having to make so many decisions quickly, this is a great discipline to have. But here's the thing. This is kind of a, this one is more difficult to me than the others that we've talked about. Not only did I have trouble just seeing it as a discipline in the first place, but it seems kind of elusive. The will of God. Discern the will of God. How do we go about developing this habit? 
How do we go about doing this? It requires us spending time and energy in all of the previous disciplines that we've talked about. It requires us spending time and energy, and we do each of these other disciplines so that we can know God more. And discernment is all about knowing God more so that we can then act and move forward. And the truth of the matter is that we cannot do anything to force discernment. I wish we could, right? I wish I could just snap my fingers and force discernment to come about in my life. But discernment is really a gift from God. It's a gift from God. But there are some things that we can do to open ourselves up to discernment. There's some things, some steps that we can take or some things that we need to come to realization of to open ourselves up to this idea of discernment. It's not formulaic, right? It's not, it's not like do this, do this, and then discernment. Like that's not, that's not how it works. And by the way, that's very rarely how it works with God in any situation with anything. It's very seldom formulaic. But there are three things that I think can help us build a foundation to create this kind of openness in our spirit. The first thing is this. We need a belief in the goodness of God. And this may sound really simplistic, but but I'm here to tell you that this is difficult for some people in this room online. Some of you are hearing this and you're like, okay, yeah, God is good, and you think of this generic, like, God is good. But I mean, you need a belief in the goodness of God for you personally. Because if you don't believe that God is good for you personally, then how are you going to lean on his heart when it comes to discernment if you don't think he has your best interests in mind? It's going to be difficult to do. And there's a lot of reasons that people may feel that God isn't a good God, The reality is that there's some of you here today that have experienced personal trauma or hurt and you've been in a place where you've placed those things and the blame for those things on God. And maybe you've asked the question, how could a good God allow this thing to happen in my life? I wish I had great answers for you this morning. I wish I could stand here and tell you exactly why. But what I can tell you is this, we live in a fallen and a broken world. You and I are not as we should be. If you look at creation, you can go down the list and God says, it is good, it is good, it is good. Everything he creates is good. He gets to humanity and he says, it is very good. And then all of a sudden, sin enters the picture and we are fallen and sometimes bad things happen as a result of that. But those bad things don't mean that God isn't good. That God isn't a good God. And just because we don't always understand him doesn't mean that he's not good. Some of you are just kind of waiting for that moment that's like, yeah, okay, but what's the catch, right? What's the catch? How is, what does that mean? Some of you have the view of God that's like the Peanuts uh, cartoon, right? And, and, and Lucy's there and she's got the football, and she's waiting for Charlie Brown to come kick the football. And that's the kind of view you have of God, because God, you view God as Lucy holding the football, and you're Charlie Brown. And finally you decide, okay, I'm going to run and I'm kicking the ball, and God yanks it away. That's not how God works. 
That's not how God works, and we're waiting for the catch sometimes. But if we truly want to open ourselves to discernment, we have to learn how to accept that God is a good God, that he has our best interests at heart. And I recognize there's a whole other sermon, there's a whole other thing we could do about that this morning. But if you can't get that part right, then it's going to be really hard for you to move forward with discernment. Secondly, we need a belief that love is our primary calling. Like when we can understand that God has called us to love first and foremost, regardless of the situation, then we can begin to open ourselves up to real discernment. You see, God's currency is love. That's what he operates in. And because of that, we have to understand that when it comes to the spiritual discernment, love is always going to be first and foremost the thing that we have to consider. It's always going to have to be the first thing that we consider. And we have this idea of love, and we come to love, and like we have this good, these warm, fuzzy feelings, and that's what we think about when we think about love. But I'm here to tell you, love is hard. Love is not easy. It's difficult. Love is often going to ask you to make choices and decisions that aren't convenient, that aren't efficient. And both those things, you know, convenience and efficiency are things that we really value in our culture. Right? We like convenience. We like the fact that we um, have been able to view service online, and I think it's an amazing thing. I think it's an amazing thing. We like convenience, and there's times where convenience serves us really well. But when it comes to loving others, loving God, loving others, it's not convenient. There's nothing convenient about loving your enemy, which is what Jesus told us to do. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, my goodness gracious. Whew. That's difficult. That is not easy. And sometimes love hurts, right? Sometimes we open ourselves up in a way of love that leaves us vulnerable and allows us to be hurt. And in this culture, we don't value vulnerability. We value strength. Got to have it all together, all the time. You can't show a little chink in your armor. That wouldn't be good because it'll be viewed as weak. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you feel that pressure to have it all together in your place of work, in your personal life, in your family. Maybe you feel like this pressure to have it all together. But that's not the way of love. The way of love is opening ourselves up and being vulnerable. And even though it's countercultural, love is still the deepest calling of a Christ follower. We have to ask the love question when decisions are being made. How will this decision allow me to love God and to love my neighbor? That should always be the first question. How will this choice allow me to, to love God and love my neighbor? In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, it's pretty familiar for a lot of you. But if you haven't heard it this morning, it says this. It says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. To be in tune with the heart of God is to love. To be in tune with the heart of God is to love. And the third thing is this. We, we need a belief that God communicates with us through his Holy Spirit. We need to believe that, that God communicates with us through his Holy Spirit. Because if we don't believe that, then it's going to be really hard to hear the voice of God, the will of God. That's how he communicates with us. That's how he accomplishes talking to us throughout, whenever we're reading scripture, whenever, wherever we are. We have to learn how to tune in to that voice as well. And that is another thing that is not easy to do. Lots of times the Holy Spirit is referred to as uh, the forgotten uh, member of the, tr- the Trinity. It's the member kind of that gets the least amount of uh, playtime, right? Because we spend the Old Testament, and we're talking about God the Father and all of the things, all of the stories, all of... And then we, spend, we get to the New Testament, it's all about Jesus, and rightfully so in both those places. But even Jesus himself says, look, it's good that I go. It's good that I leave you with the Holy Spirit. It's better for you, actually, that I leave. Because the Holy Spirit can go with each of you individually. Like God's Spirit is the one that he talks through. He's the one that he communicates through. It's the one that's close to us. It's the inner voice inside of us. It's close at all times. And that is how God speaks. So if we have those three things, if we have those three beliefs, if we have a belief that God is good, that our primary calling is is love, and that the way that God communicates to us is through his Holy Spirit, then we can begin to open ourselves up to the possibility of a habit of spiritual discernment. And once these beliefs are set, we can move forward trying to figure out how to take actions then and how to begin to put some of these disciplines into place. One of the beautiful things and one of the things that I began to realize as I, as I wrestled with this concept of spiritual discernment as a discipline, I, I began to realize that for it to be a discipline, it really has to be wrapped up in all the other disciplines. All the other things that we've talked about are important when it comes to spiritual discernment. Because if we're not practicing those things, we're not really getting to know the heart of God, and that's what we're after. That's how we know the heart of God, is by practicing these spiritual disciplines. So we need to practice things like solitude, like prayer, reading your Bible, gathering together, Right? We're, we're strengthened by these relationships we have with one another. We need to practice Sabbath, self-care. All of these things that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, they kind of add up to discernment or the ability to discern God's voice. I want to take just a moment. I think there's three of those disciplines that we've already talked about that are crucial to spiritual discernment. The first one is solitude. And I'll be real honest with you this morning. I think solitude may be the most important of all of the discern of all of the disciplines. I think it might be the most important and yet it's the hardest to achieve. It's the hardest to achieve. We are so bombarded with so many different distractions and not all bad like we have to work, we have to interact with our family, we have to 
but then on top of that, we've got all of the media that we have and the technology we have. Our world is a noisy, noisy place. It's hard to find alone time. As I was sitting and as I was, I was, I was writing this uh, particular sermon, <clears throat> um, I began to realize how elusive solitude is in my own home. <laughs> like we, we, feel like, uh, we feel like our home should be a place where we can find some solitude, but I've got three young kids and they are not quiet ever, right? It doesn't matter what time of day it is. There is noise at our house all the time. And I love our open floor plan. Like, it makes living life together as a family great. But it's not great for solitude. (laughs) It's not great to be able to find that space. And I struggled finding just quiet to kind of collect my thoughts this week. And I know that you probably have some similar experiences I know that you probably have some similar experiences. And I know that even though a lot of us have been kind of at home for a lot of this year, even though we've been at home, for most of us, not all, but for most of us, we've not been alone at home. In fact, I was, I was with some friends just last night, and they were talking about the fact that, like, you know, I mean, I work at home, my wife works at home, you know, I'm probably within 20 feet of the, uh, my significant other at all times. But if we're going to practice discernment, if we're going to get to a place where we're able to discern, we need to get alone. Jesus talks about the important, and he, and he shows us the importance of solitude over and over and over again in Scripture. In fact, I would say that Jesus practices solitude probably more than he practices any of the other disciplines. Now, within solitude, he practices prayer, and, and, and certainly he, he had his Bible down, right? He had his scriptures down. But the thing that strikes me is how many times we see Jesus withdraw from a crowd, withdraw from a place and go and try to find some space, physical space on his own. If we could learn the discipline of solitude, then I think we could really begin to master all of the disciplines, when I'm faced with big decisions of my own, like I like to try to find solitude, even though it's difficult. And Jesus does this with huge decisions as well. We see in Matthew chapter 4, at the very beginning of his public ministry, he's alone in the desert for 40 days. He's fasting, he's praying, he's spending time with God. At the end of that, he's tempted. And I believe the reason he's able to resist those temptations is because he spent time in solitude with the Father previous to that. And then in Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus withdraw to a mountaintop to pray in the middle of the night before choosing his 12 apostles. That's a big decision. It was a history-altering decision because those men that he chose went on to lead the church that you and I are a part of today and that is present all over the world. It was a pretty monumental decision. And what did Jesus do? He snuck away found some alone time with God. And then, of course, we see in Luke 22 when Jesus is praying alone in the garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. He takes his disciples with him, but then after, after he takes his disciples with him, he tells them to stop and keep watch, and he goes on to be in solitude. 
Why? Why, why did he do that? Because he was trying to discern what to do about the cross. He's trying to figure out what, is this really God's will? Because it's not, not something I'm looking forward to, right? And we know this because in verse 42 of Luke chapter 22, he says this. He says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Jesus is modeling for us solitude and discernment in this moment. Time after time, we see him withdraw. Another of the uh, disciplines that we can look at to help us in discernment is scripture reading. And scripture reading is very important because if we want to know the heart of God, remember, if we want to know the heart of God, that is discernment to know God's heart so well that we can intuitively make decisions. This is where we find God's heart. This is where we find who he is. And because of who he is, we figure out who we are, and then it helps us make a decision. Scripture is, is one of those things that is difficult as well. I wish that I could stand here and tell you I have completed every Bible reading plan that I have set out to complete. I have not. I have failed many times. I can't tell you how many times I've started a reading plan having good intentions and I get to day two and I'm done. It's difficult, but it's a necessity if we're going to know the heart of God, if we're going to know God's will. Stephanie Red preached a sermon for us a couple weeks ago that was an amazing sermon. And it was all about scripture reading. And I want to just encourage you, if you have uh, not listen to that, or if you weren't here for that, you can go on our website and find the podcast for that and listen to her sermon. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. But I believe that a crucial part of spiritual discern discernment is wrapped up in our reading of Scripture because we've got to know the heart of God. And the last one I want to talk about is, is prayer. We've got to be able to talk. To, if we want to know God, if we want to hear from God and hear His will, we've got to talk to Him, Right? That's really what prayer is. It's a way of us communicating with God. Dr. Mark Lindstrom talked to us about this in a sermon a few weeks ago as well, and we, we, we went through the Lord's Prayer, and it was a great sermon as well. But I was reminded that, that if we really want a relationship, if we want to know God's heart, man, we got to talk to God. If I want a relationship with my best friends, i I got to talk to them. If I want a relationship with my wife, I, I've got to talk to her. And that's not always easy, by the way. <laughs> it's not always easy. But it is essential. You see, when we talk to God, when we spend time in prayer, that's us communicating to God. And then we listen for a response, which oftentimes comes through Scripture. So you can kind of see all of these disciplines, they begin to be wrapped up inside one another. It, as I was thinking about this week and as I was preparing and thinking about all the things that, that, that I wanted to say, I began to realize that the reason that spiritual discernment is a discipline is because it's kind of a culmination of all the other disciplines. It's wrapped up in the other things. 
And which is why it's a great way to end this series, to say, look, these are all important. And I'll be honest, we're all faced with so many decisions these days. Like I said, we, we, I started off saying how many decisions we have to make and the decision fatigue that we have. And sometimes we don't know if we're making the right decision or not, or the decision that's in line with God's will. But the only way we're going to know that is by knowing his heart. Because when we know his heart, we'll begin to make those decisions without even realizing that that's what we're doing. In these days of decision fatigue and with seemingly so much at stake with every decision we make, drawing close to the Lord and creating this habit of discipline, of knowing the heart of God is so crucial. And I'd like to invite the the worship team out. And as they come, I just want to ask you, I want to ask you, what are the things that you are discerning right now? What are the things that are in front of you that you're just like, oh, if I just knew the will of God. And then I want to ask you, what steps have you taken to know the will of God? Have you taken the step of reading his word? And I'll be honest, there's, there's a lot of modern issues that you and I face that don't have specific answers in here. But ultimately, it's not about specific answers. It's about knowing God's heart. It's about asking the love question first. What would it look like if spiritual discernment became a spiritual discipline in your life? What kind of love-first decisions would you be making? Would it be difficult? Would it bring you peace? And as we wrap up this series on, on spiritual disciplines, I hope that you've been encouraged by hearing that spiritual disciplines are possible for normal people. But I also hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been challenged to examine your own heart, to examine your own practices. What are the things you've been doing? And as we conclude today, it is Palm Sunday, and I know we've spent a little bit of time just kind of being challenged. I've been challenged in my own spirit as, I, as I've gone through this exercise of, of writing and, and then presenting it to you, but I've been challenged in my own spirit. But ultimately, I want to land here. I want to land at this place of celebration. You see, you see the Jewish people got part of it right. The one who's going to help us accomplish these spiritual disciplines is on the throne. The one who's going to help us get there is going to walk beside you. He's promised to walk with you no matter what the circumstance or situation. And he's worthy of our praise today. He's more than worthy of our praise. He's worthy of us singing Hosanna, of welcoming him into this place.